0: And I can't find a seconder usually when I propose this, but I don't care. I don't need a seconder. My own opinion is enough for me, and I claim the right to have it defended against any consensus, any majority, anywhere, any place, any time. And Anyone who disagrees with this can pick a number, get online, and kiss my ass.
1: First things first. Alabama State Bar Rules of Professional Conduct Rule 7.2e requires the following language in all attorney communications. No representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the quality of legal services performed by other lawyers. I'm Harry Still, back with Southern Lawyer. My partner, Paul Rip, is here with us today, and I think we've got a uh, Reigns Russian via Google Hangouts. You there, Reigns? Oh, yeah. And uh, so first thing we want to get started with today is everybody's new year's resolutions Paul, once you once you get us started
0: well i know my resolution is going to be after having the 14th shoulder operation and that i have got about three weeks to recover and i'm hoping by the end of the year i've been swimming all my life that by the end of the year i can get myself back into a two mile open swimming by that i mean i like swimming in the gulf or Something like that, not the Bay. And then secondary resolution is I'm going to do everything in my power this year to educate the people of Fairhope about just what is going on in their government there so where they can make a um, vote in 2020, hopefully to get rid of get rid of uh, that's what's
1: going on in their government i just thought i'd let you know
0: do what go, go oh.
1: ahead <laughs> to get
0: rid of the people that are in there the council president they're not representing the city of fairhope but uh that's my two resolutions what about you
2: reigns well i fixed my oven so i think i'm gonna bake a lasagna once a week <laughs> <laughs> and uh make homemade lasagna once a week and uh also try to lose 20 pounds so i don't know if those two things are cohesive i probably have to drink coffee and smoke cigarettes for the rest of the week but yes. by god i'm on lasagna in 2020
1: if all you ate all week was that plate of lasagna just you know portioned it down you might be all right That's kind of like the guy that lost all that weight eating mcdonald's every day i still don't believe that happened but
2: all right, you know, portion control. What is this portion control you speak of? Right. I don't understand that concept at all. But.
1: So, so mine is less talk, more action. Uh, we got to get some complaints filed. We got to go to more meetings. We got to let our elected officials know that they're being watched by someone who knows the law and someone who knows how they're supposed to be doing their jobs. Uh, put that old master's degree in public administration to some kind of use. Um, all right, Paul. You want to start off with uh, so so let me let me talk to you a little bit about something. So, in our criminal justice system, when you are arrested um, and they take you into custody, uh, at some point in time, sometimes it's it's within a few hours. Sometimes it takes them a while to get you process, processed into the jail. But typically, if you're charged with a crime, the judge will bring you in front of him. He will talk to the prosecutor and the def- the defense attorney or the defendant, um, about the severity of their crime. If there's been any recidivism and then he will set a bail bond amount, right? So you, so you go get a bond, you go find a bail bondsman. Uh, if you don't show up for court, that bail bondsman has a major monetary uh, incentive to go hunt you down and bring you back to justice. Right? So, The first of the year, New York State. Um, Previously, New York prosecutors would determine whether to make bail a recommendation or agreed to to have the defendant release on their own recognizance, regardless of whether the alleged crime was a felony or misdemeanor, and then the judge would make a determination. Defense attorneys would typically make arguments that. Uh, bail would be inappropriate or be set at a low amount and the judge would take all this into consideration and set the bail. Under this new law in New York State, this process no longer takes place for the majority of cases as courts are now prohibited from setting any monetary bail whatsoever or keeping defendants in custody before trial in almost every type of misdemeanor case and for a long list of felonies. So in New York State, unless it's domestic violence, attempted murder, murder. Uh, you can imagine rape, some of these other uh, kinds of uh, major crimes. Uh, they can uh, still uh, set a set a bail bond, but um, those are very few and far between. So what do you think is going to happen when these people don't show up for court reigns?
2: Well, first of all, Harris County, Texas, where I currently reside, um, initiated a similar plan to go into effect in the first of the year. Okay, and it's uh, it's meant to eliminate what's been constitutionally deemed as illegal. But we can't have a debtors' court. You can't have a you you can't have a pauper's prison. You can't have you can't jail somebody just because they can't pay a a bail amount and that went all the way to the Supreme Court and Supreme Court said, you're right, we can't do that. You know, look at your bail examine, look at your bail requirements and everything else state by state. You know, we don't want to regulate it at a federal level, except for federal crimes. Um, in Harris County, we've had success with it, but we have very particular, we have things that set in place in Harris County that they don't have in this New York State statute. And one of them is that if you're jailed for violating a protective order, you're going to get bail. You're not going to get PR or public uh, based on your own recognizance. Right. Um, if you violate a protective order. If, it's, if there's recidivism present, if it's the same crime that you were formerly before the court for, then you're not going to get released for that either. Uh, there's a few other ones. The New York law, it looks like they're taking some very specific case studies and examining it as being what's bad. Somebody punched a cop and because it was a misdemeanor, uh, you know, they got released on their own recognizance. How is that protecting police officers? Well, first of all, why is punching a cop a misdemeanor? You know, I, that's a basic that's a basic issue But it, to speak further to do it. I think a lot of the non, I, I don't believe in, in high bonds and things like that from nonviolent misdemeanors. I mean, you're not going to put me in jail and make me sweat till a payday because I got an unpaid traffic ticket, you know, but.
1: Well, I'm not talking about traffic tickets necessarily. And typically here in Alabama, I can tell you these judges do their best to get these folks out of jail uh, and uh, certainly an ability not to pay a bail bond. Uh, you know, they they reduce that. Uh, after if you've been languishing in jail for a while, and you ask the judge to re- write him a letter and ask him to reduce your bond, I've seen that happen a lot. Uh, just being in courtrooms here,
2: and that makes sense. Uh, it's it's uh, I don't know. I I'm kind of on the fence about it. In one way, I think it's a great way to reduce the the burden of the people on housing inmates and everything else. And on the on the other side of it. I really want to see how it farms out over the next year or two years before I really make a judgment.
1: All right. So, so let's talk about that. Uh, you're aware of, if I say the, the bikini atoll, you know what I'm talking about, right? Middle of oh, the Pacific absolutely. where they tested nuclear weapons during the Manhattan mm-hmm. project. Right. Okay. So New York and California are the bikini atolls for the Democrats who float their ideas through legislation. there test them out. Unfortunately, Alabama and Mississippi are the, uh, crash test dummies for the Republican party. So, um, you, you oh, know, Texas,
2: that, too. Yeah. Texas, Louisiana, don't count them out. Yeah, I was going to say Yeah, but
1: shit, I, I think you could get that our legislature would pass anything. <laughs> I, I, I've never, I've never seen anything like it. So anyway, I just wanted to uh, point that out that, that that is happening in some places. Um, and there's been a lot of, if, if you go watch Fox News, man, it's just blown up the last couple of days. Uh, the Republican legislators who if that are left in, uh, in New York State are not happy with this at all. All right, so let's switch gears. Paul, you're on, man. Okay. Uh, the RIP Report,
0: Baldwin County Legal Legal. these are nonprofit associations. We've been doing this for 16 years. Nonprofit means nobody's getting paid. No one's paying us. No one influences us. We're trying to give you the straight scoop on what's going on. Uh, Today, Freaky Friday, January 3rd, 2020. The title of the Freaky Friday article is Rotten. I admit that Baldwin County has its share of corrupt and inept elected officials, but two stand out in the field as the worst elected officials of and with the worst records. The grand prize of being the most infamous and comprised elected official comes down to Senator Chris Elliott and Jack Burrell. Senator Elliott came in second to Fairhope City Council President Jack Burrell, who is the head of the city council, which has been operating lately like a criminal enterprise. The appointed city attorney and Fairhope municipal judge can always depend on Burrell to carry their water. In 2020 needs to be the last year for Burrell, the judge, the city attorney, because Fairhope deserves better. Now, we also put in some articles here. One of them is, You Don't Know Jack. And the important article, the importance about this article is that this was written in 2016, three years ago. And this is, again, about the judge and Jack and what was involved at the airport. And then you then the next article is The Conflict of Interest, which brings us to Jack and the judge again, now that the judge is the largest developer in Fairhope, uh, as well as the fact that Mr. Burrell has hid the fact that he had a police report. The last time he ran, there was no... Uh, uh, he didn't expose the fact that he had a police report in Fairhope against him, which makes you think... Well, did he stand in front of Judge Snedeker? That would be another entire conflict of interest. Fairhope has got to wake up and get rid of this council in 2020. And we close out that article with uh, one of the best cartoons we think J.D. Crow had for last year, and that's the biggest problem in Fairhope is the uh, city council.
1: Couldn't agree with you more. So, uh... We've had a good bit of talk about prison reform, and the governor has recently uh, identified three groups who are going to, who've been selected through a pre bid process um, to build some new prisons here in Alabama. Um, Rains, any idea of uh, what kind of a torture chamber of rape and violence the Alabama prison system is?
2: Well, having been uh, visiting, the, uh, correctional facilities of Mississippi, Louisiana, Florida, and Texas. If they are anything like those, there ain't no way. So
1: 119 inmates died in 2019. Do you think that's an acceptable number of people that were supposed to be rehabilitating?
2: Absolutely not. Absolutely not.
1: Yeah. I, I, I thought that was a, that was an interesting, uh, figure and uh, and of course once uh, they have the money in hand and uh, have identified uh, who the contractors are going to be we'll we'll do a follow-up on that so um, we've got a short video Uh, Nick can you run that for us real quick and we'll be right back just 20 seconds.
2: A gunman opening fire inside a church near Fort Worth. The West
0: Freeway Church of Christ live streaming the service as the man seen there at the top stood up from his seat, pulled out a long gun, and fired several times. Other church members right there shooting back. One victim was killed, another in critical condition. The gunman
2: did not survive.
1: All right, so Reigns, last time Paul wasn't here, you and I talked about firearms. Do you remember that? I do, and uh you were telling me that you went through um post Katrina in South Mississippi, and that uh well go ahead and tell us the, the the your 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 dark fantasy uh that you believe all gun owners have i i
2: honestly, I honestly believe that one of the biggest things I learned after Hurricane Katrina despite all the practical knowledge I learned was a uh, I have a I have a theory that most gun owners in South Mississippi and South Louisiana all, are just waiting for the next hurricane if they didn't get a chance to shoot a looter in the back one in the last one or or to fire their weapon at a looter because they really want to shoot a looter this time. And I believe that that's a that contributes to this this modern theory that most gun owners have this dark fantasy that they want something terrible to happen involving a a mass shooting so they can draw a weapon and put an end to it it's this sick dark hero fantasy that i'm going to tell you right now i think most gun owners gun owners and people that look for concealed carry permits for no other reason than to have them have in the back of their heads
1: well and i think you have a a valid theory that i'm not willing to completely discount but i'd like to hang a name on it
0: we're talking about more pistols and anything else.
1: Well, I'm just talking about firearms yeah. in general. All right. um, I want to call it the Jack Wilson complex <clears throat> because I think this, I've, and, and you guys just watched a snippet of the video. Um, it's one thing to make a, a shot like that um, under pressure. But what I can't believe is he didn't move for cover. He just saw two people get cut in half with the shotgun and he He's moving towards him, right?
2: Well, that's a, that's a fundamental pillar of firearms training. Um it's called advancing your boundary and and advancing towards your threat. You move forward with a weapon. Anytime you take any sort of advanced weapons training, what you're taught is you advance with a weapon, you advance and fire. You don't retreat to cover and fire except in a, you know, in certain situations. If you have a tactical command of the situation you're taught to advance your boundary to threat and eliminate it
1: well, and all I know it. is they did a count on it, and from the time he pulled it the time the assailant pulled the trigger the first time till his brains were on the wall behind him was six seconds. That's well, hard to believe I'm
2: gonna, I'm gonna tell you something I did a little research on that fellow. I found out about this guy he is firearms instructor in right. Range. In firearms and a firearms instructor and everything else. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to get inside somebody else's head and speak for him, which is something I don't normally do, but I'm willing to bet and I'm willing to give good odds at it that every nanosecond that ticked by in that internal clock, that man was saying, I don't want to shoot this guy. I don't want to shoot this guy. I don't want to shoot this guy. Don't make me shoot this guy. God damn it. Now I got to shoot this guy. It wasn't, please pull the weapon, please pull the weapon, I want to light you up. And that's the difference between somebody like him and the majority of these jerkwads out there carrying AR-15s in their trucks. They want somebody to pull a weapon because they want to shoot. They have no idea what that's like.
0: This man was This uh, man an expert. He was an uh, expert in handling a weapon. He'd already identified the guy as being suspicious he was already on guard and he made that shot look like from about 25 feet away but he probably and for you kids out
1: there who watch a bunch of movies a 25 foot sh- headshot is impressive with very a, impressive with a pistol and uh, you know
0: i spent time in a combat zone and i can tell you that when you're under fire you'd be very, very surprised at what your reaction can be, and you'd be very surprised how scared you can get. And this guy just happened to be in the right place at the right time, and probably 1 in 10,000 people would have ever done that. However, I was impressed that the rest of the congregation, uh, his security people that he had trained, that two to three of them had already drawn weapons and were in the stance approaching approaching the gunman. So right. this man not only reacted by taking the shot, he did a very, very good job of teaching the people that, uh, that he did teach with a firearm.
1: So here's my proposition. Chuck Norris should be wearing Jack Wilson underoos. <laughs> I think he, he's, a, he's a real deal, stone cold guy, right guy, good guy with a gun, right place, right time.
2: Well, well, I mean, we could, you know, that's, uh, I don't want to open up the can on the gun debate, but I will say this that uh, when it comes to firearms training, if you are going to handle a weapon or carry a weapon, I urge you to get out there and take as many classes as you can, not just the minimum to get the permit, but to take as much training as you could possibly get, go to seminars, everything you can get your hands on before you decide to carry a weapon. My wife, a couple years ago, had a scare and she wanted me to show her how to shoot and, you know, how to take care of things. And I took her to the range. And the first thing I did was I took my 1911 and I set it on the the firing station. I said, all right, I need you to take a lap around the range. She said, what do you mean? I said, go run all the way around the range. She goes, what's that? I'm not doing that. I said, well, what that does is that once you get back here, I want you to pick up that weapon and fire as quick as you can, because that's what your heart's going to be doing. Whenever you get in a situation where you've got to hold it, and then, of course, I hadn't loaded the weapon. That's important. But as soon as she got up the firing line, she took her lap. She was panting, dying, sweat screaming down her face. She comes run up the firing line just shooting me the daggers. What an asshole. I and I went up to her as soon as she picked up that weapon and smacked her as hard as I could right on the butt. <laughs> and my wife got a fantastic butt. And so I just wha-pow! Fwakada, gave it a good swat and she wheeled around on me. I said, fire at the target. And she couldn't do it. I said, that's the type of mental and emotional situation you're going to be in if you ever pick up that weapon and have to fire it. And I need you to be able to shoot it like that, or else I'm just going to get you a golf club to swing somebody.
1: Or the worst thing you can do is have a gun and know, not know how to use it and somebody take it away from you. Exactly. Or not be willing I said, to use it. That's and it why you're never going to carry
2: a gun. I've seen you fumble keys trying to get in the car and nothing's happening. I can imagine you dropping an $800 pistol I bought you on the ground and some scant running off
1: with. it. That's true.
0: And, you know, uh... Uh, Josh Moon's got a real good article, too, Guns in Church, he, that he just put out. And, you know, you can take your gun into a church unless the church says that you can't. And his is about legislation that's being proposed, much like what we talked about the uh, sheriff's department the last uh, week or two, and this is another elected politicians, again, preparing to pander a piece of legislation designed to cash in, on the fear from the recent uh, church shootings now again this is one of these political legislations that they're trying to put through and all those things that are legal today anything that's not legal today will not be legal if this dumb bill is passed and uh every person who owns a gun and shoots it regularly or who goes hunting regularly knows at least one person who definitely should not own or be allowed to even have a firearm. They're either way unsafe handling a firearm, or they're just too enthusiastic about having a gun. But you've told people who you care about to stay the hell away away from that guy that's got that gun. That's what concerns me more than anything else is people just, like you're saying, rains. they go maybe buy a weapon. And my thing is this, if you are taking firearms training, that's one thing. But to be successful at handling a weapon, you need to put three, four, five hundred rounds through it. Then you know what shooting's about. Thousands. Really, thousands, Thousands. actually.
2: Really, Yeah, I completely agreed. One of the, and I, and I, I borrowed this phrase from from uh, Hal Moore's book, but uh, people ask me, say, man, you, you live in Texas. Why don't you own a bunch of guns? I said, I don't need a bunch of guns. I've got, you know, one gun. I said, I don't need a bunch of guns. They said, well, what happens if you ever need one? I said, I guarantee you, if it ever gets to a point where I need to pick up a, an assault weapon or I need to pick up multiple weapons, there'll be plenty of them laying around here in Texas. I'm here to tell you because I just, <laughs> I perish the thought, but some people go to bed every night thinking about it, wishing that that would happen, and I, I can't stand that kind of mentality.
1: All right, I'm going to switch gears on you guys. All right. Do we have a video for the Equal Rights Amendment? Let's Let's watch that real quick, and then I'll come back and give you some commentary on what's going on around here with it.
0: Lawmakers head back to Richmond next week, and supporters of the Equal Rights Amendment already are organizing rallies at the state capitol. The constitutional amendment would ban discrimination based on sex.
3: It gained national attention when it passed the Virginia Senate, but House Republicans blocked a floor vote. Jacqueline Lee has the story. So Jacqueline, what happens if this passes in Virginia? Well, Nicole, if it passes, Virginia would be the 38th state and the last one needed to add the Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution. But there are already several states trying to prevent that from happening. Democratic lawmakers and Equal Rights Amendment activists say they are positive the General Assembly will pass the ERA during this year's session. The equal Rights Amendment is intended to just make sure that women are finally put into our constitution at the same level, everything equal. It's just about equality of rights under the law. But even if Virginia is the 30th state to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment, Alabama, Louisiana, and South Dakota filed a federal lawsuit to block it from being added to the U.S. Constitution. Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall pointed to Congress's seven-year deadline for 38 states to approve the amendment back in 1972, saying in a statement that the people had seven years to consider the ERA and they rejected it. To sneak it into the Constitution through this illegal process would undermine the very basis for our constitutional order. Opponents of the ERA argue the amendment will lead to taxpayer-funded abortions and would allow transgender women to use women-only restrooms and locker rooms. This is not about equality for all. We already have equality under the law in the 14th Amendment and the 5th Amendment and not to mention Title IX. And so that is our position. What this amendment is about is gender ideology and abortion assuming virginia passes the era virginia will file the state's resolution to the u.s archivist who would then certify the ratification documents and add the amendment to the constitution if there's some sort of holdup on the federal level that prevents the era from being added to the constitution attorney general mark herring says he is ready to take any action and use every tool at his disposal saying the ERA gives Virginia the chance to be on the right side of history. Jacqueline Lane, 13 News Now.
1: So after episode 15, which was last, last week, uh, where we chronicled a, uh, we went over a uh, article in the Alabama Political Reporter uh, about how our attorney general has done a really crummy job. And I guess this is the kind of thing he's been keeping himself busy with—is worrying about a constitutional amendment that, Paul, what would be the effect of the Equal Rights Amendment passing today? Given that uh, equal protection under the Fourteenth Amendment has already been extended to all these things, now uh, rains—I'm having a uh, uh, my brains going blank on this. Uh, collegiate athletics, that's called title nine, seven. It's all athletics. Yeah. But, I don't I know, know. Uh, uh, but you, you know what I'm talking about? The, if, if we spend X amount of money on the boys tennis team, we got to spend the yeah, same amount of money team. on the girls tennis team. Right. I'm just saying, I don't know what it does. It was supposed to have been ratified. I, I hate to say, I agree with the attorney general of the state of Alabama, but I believe he's correct procedurally in that it should have been ratified within a certain period of time when it was proposed, the idea that we're going to wait 22 or 30 years to, uh, to ratify a constitutional amendment is, uh, kind of wet brained as far as I'm concerned.
2: Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with the law on this one. Uh, you know, I, I am a feminist and I, I agree in, in equal rights for women and that certain things need to be protected. But, uh, there is a bit of a gap on this and it's, it's legislation that we thought was already taken care of and that we've progressed, I believe as a society to a level where I'm not going to say we don't necessarily need it, but the clock, the clock has kind of ticked past this thing. And if you want to reintroduce something, then by all means do it, but I'm going to side with the ball on this one as well. I mean, it should have been taken care of and it wasn't. And, if, if you're gonna, you can't cherry pick the laws when it comes to constitutional amendments. You know, it's they're there for a reason, and if it didn't get ratified, then
1: it's dead. So we introduced them. recently. Uh, are, are you aware that Alabama, uh, Georgia, and Florida are involved in a war over water?
2: I've 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 seen some of it. Yes, Okay, it reminds me the
1: 1940s and 50s. All right, so starting in Rome, Georgia, the Coosa River comes down through gadston and down uh actually uh through Montgomery, hooks up with the Tallapoosa River, comes down the Alabama, which ends up between us and Mobile. The Chattahoochee River starts in Atlanta and makes it uh, uh once you get to about uh I want to say is Phoenix city from about Phoenix city. South. The Chattahoochee river is the border between Alabama and Georgia. Um, and yep. actually keeps meandering South and dumps out into Apalachicola, Apalachicola Bay, um, in yep. Florida. So what's that going is. on is wow. Atlanta's sucking all the damn water out of the river. And the Chattahoochee river is not navigable anymore anymore in some places. Um, right. well, anyway, they got a, federal court ruling saying that uh, temporarily uh, Georgia can take pretty much all the water they want to so let me tell you what went on uh, so something similar to this happened uh, related to the Colorado River and everybody and they they came up with an apportionment in the early in uh, let me see 2007. So Colorado gets twenty three percent of the water, Arizona gets seventeen percent, New Mexico gets five percent, Utah gets eleven percent, Wyoming gets six percent, Nevada two percent, and California twenty seven percent. Right. Well it's a ridiculous solution. Um surely we can do better. And sure and I and I know there's a special master that's been appointed. Um I don't know if this was his decision or theirs, but a tremendous blow for people who live along the Chattahoochee River uh, in uh in Alabama and certainly down in Florida man that, that that the water just the water levels unimaginably low uh for most of the year um i got a question for you Paul mhm how long has mike hubbard been convicted and sentenced to go to jail and how much longer is this monkey slash slash goat screwing going to go on for? Well, I don't know, but again,
0: I'll have to go back to uh, Josh Moon just recently wrote an article, and it is about the corruption, and corruption's at an all-time high. This is in his article, murder rates in Alabama, largest cities are through the roof, poverty has amazingly increased, health care is abysmal, particularly in the rural areas of Alabama. Now listen to this one. Opioid, meth, and guns have killed more Alabamians than the Americans who died in wars in the last 10 years. And public education in the state has gotten far worse, uh, both from the performance standpoint and from the funding standpoint. So, you know, until you get used to, until you're willing to accept uh, where you live in, And just how bad a situation it is, you know, you look at Mike Hubbard. Mike Hubbard is the one that uh, uh, was supposed to go to jail like now what over three years ago. And back in 2010, uh, GOP lawmakers led by Mike Hubbard were promising a new day in the state, one that would stop public corruption, the backroom deals, and government for the elite instead of the pro-business government that leveled the playing field and treated everyone equally. That all turned out to be a farce. In reality, the everyday Alabama, heading into twenty twenty, is in the same shape as the Alabama everyday Alabamian that went <coughs> into twenty ten. Nothing has changed. Undereducated, underpaid, under care for, and underappreciated. And uh, no fewer than a half a dozen Alabama. Lawmakers have gone to prison while in office for some form of political corruption, and even more should have gone and that doesn't include the various lawyers, consultants, lobbyists, and judges who have served time
1: I'm going to make a prediction what's that all this Indian money out there there's going to be a there's going to be a major investigation of i don't Anyway, just hide and watch there the, this this uh all this money changing hands over uh casino gambling in Alabama I'll guarantee you it's it'll there. just
0: it'll just be one more thing i will say I will say this though. uh I am pleased to say that the Baldwin county commission uh no the present commission has nowhere near the reputation as the last one, which gave us now Chris Elliott as a senator. And, of course, uh, the straw man, Tucker Dorsey, who we now find has been lying to everybody for 10 years. But you still have to look at the basis of just how corrupt Alabama has been. You're in a county that's basically corrupt. And when you get down to Fairhope City Council, the entire council is a question. This is what people need to start looking at. Corruption's a silent tax. If you think it doesn't involve you, white-collar corruption, you are so, so, so wrong. All
1: right, so Reigns, Magnuson-Stevens Act in 30 words. Uh,
2: the Magnuson-Stevens Act is a international fisheries rule that protects the sovereignty of... of- Okay, protects the sovereignty of fishing grounds in territorial waters,
1: and it also they try to <laughs> they try to make sure it's not overfished too, right? So now yep, that's a ten. Okay, so so here in Alabama, under the Madison Stevens Act, the determination is made of exactly how many fish can be taken each season, and then that that. Number is split into two numbers, one for the commercial fishermen, the other for recreational fishermen. So I don't know the mechanics of it. I'm assuming the Department of Conservation will come up with these rules, but what they're saying is that the feds have agreed to allow the state of Alabama to control the season, bag limits, all that stuff related to red snapper in all waters bordering Alabama, not just out to three miles, but even out to the – seven miles, uh, federal Correct. waters. So anyway, could be a good thing. Could be a bad thing. I mean, we've screwed up a hell of a lot simpler things. Um, uh, but you know, I, I think we've done a good job on bag limits. I'm a duck hunter. Um, I know that that's federal, but, uh, certainly the, the, uh, enforcement side here in Alabama seems to, seems to be going well. Uh, one more you thing. Probably have, a, you probably have a good deal with it because you don't have a large commercial red
2: snapper fishery working out of the mobile bay area um that's more a panhandle of florida thing and the panhandle of florida has has some serious regulations every year and the, the conservationists versus the commercial fishermen i was a to full disclosure i was a lobbyist for the gulf seafood alliance many years ago and uh one of the things that we fought was the you know commercial versus recreational creel limits on red snapper in florida and in Mississippi because we actually have some uh, commercial interest in red snapper in, in South Mississippi, but Alabama does not. And so it'll work out well for the state. And they're just basically saying you can do what you want with your two coastal counties that, that, that affect the Gulf snapper population. So I, I think it's great that they're, you know, giving it to the state and let the state handle it. And I, I believe it or not, even though it just, when Alabama does have a pretty good record when it comes to wildlife management. So I'll I'll give them that. Let's work on teen pregnancy next.
1: (laughs) All right. So it's kind of a national issue, but it relates to all of us. Um, There's no going back. Genetic databases are transforming policing and testing the limits of privacy. So have you ever done a 23andMe genetic test, Reigns?
2: Absolutely not.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm sure it's going to say that you're, into yourself. All all your people came from Ireland, and you're more inbred than Prince Charles. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I can like, tell you that well, just looking I, at your picture.
2: Uh, yeah, my DNA doesn't go into any database, private or public or otherwise.
1: What? Well, uh, all right. So today, um, they have changed their policies. You have to opt in to allow the commercial use of your genetic information. Right. hmm Except, uh. It's already been sold. <laughs> you oh, see yeah. what I'm getting at? Oh, yeah. I mean, the people that that really wanted it probably have it. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of genetic testing uh, uh, tests for uh, genetic diseases going on at Harvard and, and other places, exciting things. Uh, I don't know how. Uh, of course, you know, one good thing's come from this. We caught the Golden State Killer, right?
2: Well, yeah, because
1: his niece or great nephew was in the twenty three and Me database.
2: Yeah, that's that's fantastic. We caught a serial killer using twenty three and Me. That's also saying that that it's the same kind of talk that says you know, uh, 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 dip nets helped stop meth production in Wyoming because a guy used a dip net to knock over a meth lab. That, that's ridiculous. It's it's a one off thing. I don't think that uh, if you decide to willingly put out your private information, be it genetics or anything else, you're asking for something
1: terrible to happen. You're right, asking, but you're this is the this thing. is the Facebook paradigm, man. It, it the, the reason the damn test doesn't cost $2,000 is they're selling your genetic information to third parties. The Absolutely. same reason Facebook's free. Same reason YouTube's free. Yep. It's they're being commercialized. It
2: out. It's, a, it's a commodity just like everything else.
1: Well, and, for me to the listeners, whoever they may be, um, don't do one of these things, not until the, all this gets worked out because the law is always way behind. I believe it was Clinton who uh, – I know there's a law in the books that says you can't use somebody's genetic information uh, to charge them a higher rate. For their health insurance.
2: Yeah, that was that was that was part of comprehensive health care reform under yeah, the yeah. administration. Yeah.
1: Um, all right, let's move on. Elmer Harris has died. Do you know who Elmer Harris is? Do not. He was a big Long. dog at the Alabama Light and Power, right? That's right. He was the plow tender, is what I like to call him, of the big mule. That's a historical term for people with a lot of stroke. Uh, Alabama Power Company. He was the president for a long time. Uh, So, Range, you may or may not know this. There was a big falling out with the Business Council of Alabama. Alabama Power Company didn't like something going on, and nobody's ever really explained to me exactly what happened, but they weren't happy with some personnel decisions or some policy decisions, so they took their ball and went home. So what do you think Uh, happened?
3: uh, (laughs) Everything they
1: wanted so that they'd come back to the table. Right. so now they got a th- is that is that young lady she's she's under 40 uh she used to be uh, Richard Shelby uh, on Richard Shelby staff and uh, she's running the business council I'm gonna see if we can get her on here uh, and talk to her about you know they're calling it the new business Council of Alabama and it's got a new direction and I'd just be tickled to death to know what in the world that is um back to the Boy Scouts. What do you know yes. about this, uh, Roger Mosby fellow?
2: Roger Mosby was the head of human resources for Kevin Morgan here in Houston. And, uh, he is something of a specialist when it comes to handling harassment claims. Uh, I don't know if you've ever known anybody that worked in the oil field, but, uh, it is not exactly a, uh, sex positive environment. And I say that with the, uh, with a bit of uh, a bit of chagrin, uh, the women that work in the oil field are constantly subjected to sexual harassment, just like any other women in any other workplace. But Kinder Morgan had a number of harassment claims and some pretty serious cases back in the '90s and early aughts. And this guy was kind of at the uh, was kind of at the helm, as you probably know, and I hope most of the listeners, all nine of them, do that human resources policies for major corporations are not there to protect the worker. They're there to protect the company. And so this guy has been brought in by the, by BSA to basically do damage control and reroute BSA from this current absolutely shameful breach of uh, trust and everything else that they're dealing with their members. And hopefully he can initiate some sort of program to contain the damage from this and then let us get a, a real scout executive in there to take it over once he's had his, uh, had his time card. Put.
1: So you know how they're, they're like these little cliches about don't go into the restaurant business. And, uh, you, you know what I'm talking Rules of thumb cliches that we hear sure. all the time. So my number one sure. cliche about is in, 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 investing is when they promote the director of HR to be the CEO, sell the damn stock. Oh yeah, <laughs> the, yes. these people are snipes. They're technical people. You're right. The number one uh, place that a company has liability is in their own employees. I, I totally agree. Unless they're making dynamite or they're 3M poisoning the damn Tennessee River up there, but yeah, that's uh, they're they're they are rule makers. They are not the type of people that you would put into a position to think that they're going to take an organization in some new fantastical direction or give us some vision for the future. I, no, I do understand not. that he was on the Southeast Regional uh, Board for the Boy Scouts for many years, and he's a scouter. So, but you know, the guy's got like a geology degree. You
2: no, know, this it's it's, it's strictly <laughs> optics. This guy's going to be brought in to stabilize the optics. I, I'll give you the prime example of why he's on board. You know, have you ever heard of Kinder Morgan in the news for something other than oil?
1: Not that I can think of, but
2: they had more second only to Halliburton and because Halliburton's so big and so global. Kinder Morgan had more uh, sexual assault, sexual harassment cases than any other oil firm, including National Oil, Well, Varco, Aramco, and all of them almost combined. And you never heard a word about it in the news unless you were in the oil business and traded in that particular currency. Part of the reason is because this guy helped control the optics of it. And that's why BSA has brought him in. Like I said, he's going to punch a ticket. and He'll be out within two years.
1: Right. Bet you. So you think he's a wartime concierge? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. He's here
2: to improve the optics of the current situation. I got you. All
1: right.
0: What else you got? I got something else. is the article December 31st by Gabe Times and Lanyap. Federal case against Baldwin appraiser is allowed to proceed. Uh, It's a federal judge in Georgia has denied a motion to dismiss a civil complaint against a prominent Baldwin County real estate appraiser. Uh, who the Internal Revenue alleges participated in an abusive tax scheme in, uh, involving uh, conservation easement syndicates. This caught my attention because of all the conservation easement talk in um, Fairhope. Uh, but in this complaint filed last December, the government claimed that Magnolia Springs-based appraiser Claude Clark III drew up a sham vi- valuations for conservation easements in several states uh, improperly inflating property values, which resulted in grossly overstated uh, tax deductions. Now, what I thought was interesting, and, you know, when we quote from these articles, we're, you know, paraphrasing just a few paragraphs in the article. We're encouraging you to read the entire article. or not trying to sway it one way or another, but what took me was— that this conservation easement drawn up by someone in Magnolia Springs, Little Magnolia Springs, according to the complaint, between 2009 and 2016, he appraised 58 properties for various syndicates, resulting in at least $1.85 billion in grossly overstated
1: federal tax deductions. And is this a... uh, uh Federal mitigation land bank is that what he's appraising?
0: Uh, well, the it's what it is is a it sounds like what it is is a conservation easement uh, uh, using that as a guise to uh, obtain tax. Uh, Saying I gave taxes. a conservation Correct.
1: easement, the value of the property was X, and it was really Y.
0: Correct, and and and, and you know the the conservation when you go to conservation easements or or things like economic development. You better be reading between the line. Uh, Like in Fairhope, they're wanting to take municipal property. Now, this is a political move by the past mayor to where he's now wanting to uh, head up like the second or third attempt to uh, have the triangle as a conservation easement. And the irony of it is that He is the very one, the past mayor, Tim Cant, is the very one that caused all the problems that resulted in over $3 million in lawsuits, uh, attorney fees, where the attorneys promised the city all along they'd never pay a dime and ended up having to pay everything. And it was all under the guise of, let's have this conservation easement, and we'll have this park, and we'll do this, and we'll do that. Well, it's not what it appears, folks. That's municipal property in Fairhope, and you better hang on to your property. And then let me let me close up by one other thing too, Harry. <laughs> yes, sir. In, in 2020, uh, one of the things that Rip Report has done in the past is uh, we have filed complaints. We've known some of these complaints were going to go anywhere, but we did it on a basis that they were recorded, and uh, we could bring them up again and. Uh, now that we have backstory podcasts, we're going to be uh, putting some of these complaints, uh, such as the one against Councilman Brown uh, and Fairhope, and uh, also the one against uh, uh, the President of Council uh, Jack Brill in 2016 over the airport scandal. These things will be put on, on a PDF. They'll be put on the backstory podcast. And then we'll have a podcast that will go through and explain just how these complaints uh, have been filed and the basis for the complaints. So when you hear us talking about and reading about these complaints, you better believe that we put some time and effort in it. These are not allegations that we take lightly. All
1: right. I want to take everybody back to the 2016 municipal election in Baymanette. You had... Our current mayor Wills running against our former mayor Dobbins. Now Dobbins had served for four years, for eight years, did not seek a uh, a third term based on a uh, uh, election pledge, and he had been out of office for four years, <clears throat> and he ran against Mayor Wills, and so it was, it got pretty dirty. There was some mudslinging. A lot of things were talked about that Sonny did when he was in office, and then of course. Um, well, you could imagine uh, the things that we've been talking about going on with North Baldwin Utilities and whatever, uh, he certainly made those things public. And there's a lot more coming on that. So what if I told you that November 10th, 2017, a year, about a year after the election, I got a phone call from a friend of mine, and he said, hey, man, uh, it's like 1030 at night. I said, I'm being be in your driveway in 30 seconds. I need you to go with me over to Sonny Dobbin's house. You know, I get you, you'd be surprised how how routine that kind of a call is. Somebody calls me middle of the night says I need to go somewhere. So sure enough, he's in my driveway. We get to the former mayor's house. It is surrounded by police officer vehicles. You cannot he, he I think his house is on a half a block. There was no, it looked like a football game was going on. There were cars lined all the way around the block. Kids everywhere. They had them sitting down in little circles in the yard. You know how they do. They get out there and pour the beer out or whatever. Must have been, I you know, I was there, physically there. Laid my eyes on it. Uh, of course, uh, one of our city council members were there. Uh, this an employee of Mr. Dobbins. Um, and so guess how many people got charged in this open house party where almost every kid from the 10th grade, 11th grade and 12th grade uh was there. Zero. Correctamundo. mundo. <laughs> uh and well, I so you know, so but- okay, so so let's keep going. Um did the district attorney pick it up? No, nope. nope. of course not. Everybody, everybody in town's kid was. A, I will say uh, there was no one who was a blood relative of mine there. Thank goodness. So, Councilman Phillips, who works for former Mayor Dobbins, um, he but prior to this, when he first got elected, he would raise cane, be the only. uh the lone uh, voice in the wilderness uh, against anything that Wills ever proposed. Uh, How about this? How about Mayor Wills is representing former Mayor Dobbins' ex-wife, and they are suing Councilman Phillips' wife for torturous interference with a business relationship? (laughs) Now, would that be intimidating to you that the mayor, who's a lawyer, is is representing the former mayor's ex wife suing your wife? Oh, that looks like it sounds like something out of a book. Sounds like some some kind of intimidation, doesn't it? Well, I mean, but you know, Mayor Wells he he's got a right to make a living. He's a lawyer, and somebody came to him, and I guess there's no problem with it. But it it sure sounds so. What I'm saying is alliances have changed. There's, there's been no one who is standing up to Mayor Wills anymore, not even Councilman Phillips. You come over here, you look at the big red barn that's going on. You look at all these other things in town. Uh, I don't know. We're supposed to have a city planner now. I don't know what she's doing. Uh, she, she needs to get to whittling on these regs so that we make sure nobody builds an 8,000-square-foot jiffy lube-looking building 20 feet from somebody's house. He hates that barn. I hate that damn barn. Paul commented on it on the way over here. He's like, well, if they wouldn't have made the damn thing red. Yeah, if they would left it brown or something.
0: But, you know, I find that interesting that you brought that up about the uh, kids and stuff. Because many, many years ago, the same thing happened in Fairhope. And uh, the kids were actually busted. And some of them had to go through uh, training classes every week and... uh, you know, and they, they had to go through these classes. Uh, and they had to pay for, you know, getting caught illegally drinking. However, my good buddy there, Mr. Burrell, Council President Burrell's son, had a huge party like that, over 100 people. They come in there and they bust everybody. You think anybody got convicted? Nobody. Was all swept up under the table. This is the type of thing that's got to stop. And,
1: uh, well, and, and let me point this out. Baymanet is like Putin's Russia. Bob Wills is absolutely in charge here, so anything that happens, he's absolutely responsible for. Now he can take credit for things, but he's got to take blame too, right? Right. I mean, there's, there's, look. If I went to a council meeting and everything was three, four every time, that's a good council where they're, where they're, where they do not agree on everything. It's, it's just, it is not a good situation. Where everybody, well, and and then you got council members who are scared to ask staff members for information. Fairhope
0: averages about ninety-five percent voting, all in line, every one of them exactly predetermined how they're going to vote. That's not good.
1: I think uh, January seventh on A is the premiere of the Etowah County Detention Center. Uh, series where they went undercover and then of course it turns out it's about 50 times worse than they ever imagined you know you can buy a cell phone yep. for 20 dollars, get you some cocaine while you up in there i don't know man it's uh it's got so Etawa county detention center was purposefully overbuilt and i don't know if y'all remember me saying this but i said that todd intercom was absolutely not guilty of any crime that the state law was set up in such a way to enrich these sheriffs. And then the county commission uh, back went, of course they were up to all kinds of illegal stuff back in those days in Etowah County. Um, Just look up the Etowah County uh, solid waste and recreation authority. If you, if you want to look for a case on that. Um, Anyway, I I don't want to get too off too far off on a tangent. If you wanted to comment, go ahead, Reigns. Well, that's, you
2: know, it is what it is.
0: It is, but I can assure you in 2020, the RIP report is going to... We're coming out of the box. You may think we've been out of the box, but we're coming out of the box this year. We're going to try to expose even more corruption. We're certainly expecting pushback from the uh, politicians, and the more they push back, the more we're going to
1: push. Well, and I want to say this. I haven't said this publicly, but... um... You know, for the for the for the sheriff of Baldwin County to single you out and say that you are dangerous and that you need to be um, searched prior to coming coming into a public building, and for the courthouse security committee to have let this stand without giving me a hearing or any kind of due process, it goes to show you who's in charge around here. Yeah. It's the sheriff of Baldwin County. It's damn sure not the Baldwin County Bar Association who's done nothing to come to my assistance. Neither has the Alabama Bar. Neither has the Alabama State Bar, of course, you know. Or the Judiciary or the
0: Ethics Commission or the Attorney General. <laughs> well,
1: That's why we're here, gentlemen. I, I haven't, I haven't I asked for their help, but this is no, what no, I'm i don't No, no, I don't mean you, but, but, but I mean. But what I'm saying is just imagine you're some guy that, I don't know. Uh, name name a name a normal job. Uh, you're a truck driver. Um, you're you're not a guy from a prominent family who who's an established attorney in Baldwin County. Um, you know if if they can get away with doing this stuff to me, everybody needs to yeah. everybody needs to wash your back. That's all I'm saying. Well,
0: the you know that's something quite- that's something that that reminds me of Harry. And again, going back to Fairhope and the airport scandal in 2016, when the RIP report, as a consumer group, made the report that we did and the complaint that we did, the airport authority led by Councilman Burrell, the first thing they did with city money, because that money is city money, they hired an attorney to investigate me, the whistleblower, the person that brought all of it up. And then after hiring someone to investigate me and making a huge point of it and saying, now you're going to see nothing ever happened. They never said a word. They never found out anything. And so people need to look back and say, you know, bit dog barks first. And now that uh, uh, the good judge in Fairhope has put himself in as the major developer supported by the council, we're going to hear a lot more about it this year folks i guarantee you
1: well and let me let me say this and i haven't i thought about this for a while the other night and all of these things that are going on north bowen utility the sheriff it all smacks of desperation it's like control mm-hmm. we, we we i think we got them on the run boys control power control and what do they do every petty little damn thing they can you got to be searched when you go in oh we're evicting you that's another thing i got an eviction letter from north Baldwin utilities i called the lady who sent it to me and i said hey that's not a big deal i'd just like a copy of the minutes and uh i said the the obviously the board made the decision to um to evict me right She said, they did. And I said, well, I just want a copy of the minutes. And she said, well, they didn't do it in the meeting. (laughs) I said, well, shit, they didn't do it then. I don't know if you were absent. They taught uh, government at law school. But, uh, yeah, they have to be in session to make a decision. And the other thing is all the council members knew that uh, I think what happened was they did not renew my lease. They took it to the the city council, renewed everybody's lease, but mine. So that's the big inside joke is everybody knew but me. That my, new, my lease wasn't being renewed.
0: But they let you in on it. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> they sure did. Uh, uh, so I don't, know, I don't know what everybody else did for their Thanksgiving and Christmas, but uh, I spent a crap ton of money and uh, a, a lot of time and a lot of effort having to move my office somewhere else. And, and let me add this, folks. This is a real prime example
0: They came after me as a consumer group. They're coming after Harry now for speaking out.
1: And when we got started, Paul said, man, you have no idea what these people are willing to do. And I told him that I didn't believe
0: it. And I told him, I said, they will pull every chicken shit stunt they can. And every redneck thing that they can, no disrespect to rednecks, but I am one. And that's that's. That's exactly what they are doing. You have to realize, people, that you are living in the most corrupt state in the United States, possibly the most corrupt county, and if you live in Fairhope, the most corrupt municipality in the county in Alabama. You have to come to those terms first before you're going to change everything.
1: And I need to... I need to throw in a retraction. I said something monumentally stupid because I was reading and talking at the same time. Last episode, I said we had somewhere under twenty percent of the population locked up. That is wrong. We have twenty percent of the world's prisoners. Okay, that right. that was the stat I was going for. Yeah, twenty percent of the world's prisoners. When we only have a certain uh, percentage of the population. <coughs> All right, Range. You got anything out in Texas you need to tell us about? I'm about to wrap this thing up. You know,
2: no, that's uh, everything's full steam ahead here in Texas. Um, one thing I will tell you about though that's going on in uh, North Carolina. We talked about the coal ash deal uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, two podcasts ago, and there was a good blurb come out of uh, Charlotte today. An old colleague of mine named Greg Lacour, who writes for the uh, for the Charlotte Magazine. Reported on that the state of North Carolina and Duke Energy finally signed off on an agreement to clean up the coal ash from the from the spill into the Dan River in 2014. Now that was a huge deal, and we talked about it a couple podcasts ago about how damaging that could be to the environment. Duke Energy is gonna spend nine billion dollars to move coal ash to lined landfills over the and They've gotten to this agreement with the State Department of Environmental Quality. They saved and a half dollars by maintaining a couple of ash piles that are nowhere near rivers, but they're going to haul it out and they're going to fix it. And it's because of the dogged determination of the Southern Environmental Law Center and the DEQ. And I'm here to tell you that is a huge step forward. And a great example that Alabama could look at, Alabama's DEQ could look at and say, this is what we need to do to get this coal ash that's sitting on the bank of the Mobile River and get it out of here. And Uh, the impetus of the cost is on the company, not on the taxpayer.
0: Nope. That's and not, not going to be the way Alabama handles it rains. Alabama's going to tell you that it's all safe. There's no problem. It's all okay. Don't listen to other states. Don't look at uh, what has happened. Don't look at the environmental damage. Uh, we know best. Uh, we don't really need to do anything yet. They'll wait till it goes down the river before anything's done.
2: Well, there's no doubt in my mind that you're very, very, very correct on that, Paul. But Harry, if you'll put that article up on Facebook, I think a lot of our readers and listeners would could give it a gander and just see that there is a right way to do it. Right. And the impetus is on calling your state lawmakers, making a difference, voting out people that aren't open to these kind of ideas, and pushing forward for the environment. And it's it's like I said, it's just a, it's a it's a great example on how these
1: things should be handled. All right, one more one more point on this. Uh, Conservation Commissioner Chris Blankenship is from Mobile, the Alabama Department of Conservation Commissioner. He has yet to weigh in on the coal ash. Even though he's from down here, and his department bought half a billion dollars worth of land to protect the Delta, but we're not going to protect it from poison what are we protect what are we protecting it for and that is the
0: number one threat and he's not even said a word about it
1: yet all right boys and girls well, that's what's it on the show? yeah well he's not coming on our show i don't I don't know that he does I think he he issues press releases that's about it huh. All right, that's it for today. I appreciate everybody participating, and we will see you guys Every, next time.
0: Everybody have a happy new year, and uh, I hope I get to Fair Hope without a ticket.
1: Episode 16, <laughs> it's in the can.
3: I like that. I that one real good.